So I'm not sure what was the figure, but it was okay. And now I will shut up. I think that we are going uh, live. Let's just assure that our community is joining before we officially start. And just having the confirmation from our team that we are live. Mm -hmm. And we are officially live. So welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to share with you uh, how to scale a company from 2 million to 100 million. So we bring the best tech leaders in the world so we can compress all those lessons and help you scale your business even faster. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, and I will try to pronounce it uh, your name in, in the best way possible, Stefan uh, Muldeman. That's pretty uh, good. <laughs> which is the founder and CEO at uh, Loanbooks, also uh, the chairman at uh, Swiss FinTech organization, and uh, definitely uh, uh, with an amazing career so far. And I'm really proud of having you in the show. Thanks for, for joining, Stefan. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. My pleasure. So let's start by getting to know a little bit more uh, about yourself and how you ended up uh, starting up and, and founding uh, Loanbooks. Yeah, I'm glad to, to tell you a little bit about it. Um, I've spent about 20 years in banking, actually. But uh, even during my banking career, I sometimes had an itch and I need to resolve that itch. So I founded companies, uh, even if I wasn't a corporate job at the same time, which sometimes was pretty interesting and tough. But um, the, way I, the way that led me to loan books really was because my former company, which was a debt advisory business, I started to realize that in public sector lending and investing in debt, uh, that business kind of has become a commodity. And if something in financial services becomes a commodity, there's only one place for it to be, which is on a marketplace or on a platform. So um, before I started the company, obviously I did some, did some due diligence, did some research, and I spoke to about 30 potential borrowers in the public sector and about 30 institutional lenders, uh, how happy they are with the way that public sector debt business works. And they said, it's pretty tedious. It's uh, intransparent, it's expensive, not always secure. And most of all, there hasn't been any innovation in like a hundred years. And if you get that feedback from the market, it's clear that there is a business opportunity. Got it. And so that's why you started uh, Loan Books. Absolutely. So let's bring to the conversation a set of habits that our community is already uh, very used to, to, to. For the ones who are joining for the first time, those are the habits that we apply to kind of uh, follow the rule of the triple, twice, double, three times. For the ones who have never heard about this rule, uh, this is typically a company that has um, passed through product market fits and gets to 2 million uh, in revenues. Uh, then if you are able to triple twice, which will go from two to six, six to 18 million, uh, then you double three times, 18 to 36, 36 to 72, 72 to 144. So, and it will give you five years to scale up the business. If you spend three years kind of starting up, 
So we would be in business for eight years if we add two years of mistakes that we were not able to scale at the, at the pace that we would like to. Uh, this will get a, a decade. And this would be, of course, uh, world-class standards for tech companies to, to scale. And the first habit is about all about the team, of course. Um, and the, the first habit says the executive team is healthy uh, and aligned. Something that we see uh, again and again, and, and it's also validated by, by the guests that we have in the show, is that we the, the leadership team that we need from stage of growth to another stage of growth of the business, it's really very different. And I would say even the transition from the founding team to the first version of the leadership team, adding the VP of sales or the VP of marketing, the VP of customer success, product, engineering, etc. So. What, what is your experience uh, building the team uh, in the beginning and for each stage of growth that Lundbox has uh, been facing until now? That's a very good point. And I think probably the most crucial one that decides about early success. And when I say early, I mean the first three to five years in any young company. So, I mean, what I've done is uh, once I realized that there is a business opportunity, I needed somebody who helped me build the tech. I needed a prototype to go out to the market and show it to potential customers. And so I was looking uh, for somebody who's a, who's a great techie, but also is, has the capability of understanding uh, the business side. So I was able to find Dario, Dario Tsok. He's my CTO today. And he, uh, at that time, worked at a very large uh, tech provider in Switzerland. He took three weeks of holidays and programmed 23 days through in order to build that prototype. So I was wow. able to go to the market with that prototype and then get all the goods and also obviously the critical feedback. Uh, I also taught at the university in St. Gallen for a few years, and one of my top students at that time was Amdi Buri, and he was uh, co-founder number two who joined us. So in the beginning, with the three of us were really the, the, the nucleus of the company, shared the common view of making debt capital markets transparent, accessible, and efficient, and uh, we started from there on. And for us, today we are 50 employees, we are in six countries, and I would uh, actually put that development over the four years since we founded the company in 2015 into three parts. The first part is when you just really start and it's just a couple of founders, everybody does everything, everybody knows everything. It's very hands-on, you, you, you build a product, you go out, you know there's, a, there's an interest and that's, the, that's kind of the first part. That's kind of an easy part because your founding team are all the employees you have. And then you start, okay, now, um, as a CEO or as a CTO or as a CEO, you can't do everything. So you need to have support staff uh, and you start to hire them. And the next phase then I think is somewhere between five and 15 employees. And still everybody uh, sits in one room. Everybody knows what the others are doing. So there's not a lot of need for structures at that time. It's all about the product. It's all about the clients and everybody just runs full steam ahead. Uh, but then once you get over those 15 employees and or you go into other countries and people don't all sit in the same office, you suddenly start to realize that people don't, not everybody always knows everything. So uh, for us, the, the transition from 15 to 50 employees really meant we needed to have processes. We needed to formalize these goals that we have and formalize who is responsible for which part of the goal. Um, 
And then you need the structures, you need HR, you need legal, you need all kinds of support functions as well. Right. And that really uh, was a big game changer. And I think for us now, at this point in time, when we're 50, and as I said, active in six countries, but we're adding more countries as we speak, it's really important now to again transition to an organization and also the leadership team that is able to scale the company globally in the end and and even accelerate uh, growth got it and of course this introduces um, new countries six countries as you're saying also going for new challenges uh, uh this introduces a little bit uh, the habit number two which is how do we assure that everyone in the business is aligned with the number one thing that we need to get done in in this quarter and that aligns, of course, with our midterm and with our big area uh, audacious goal or uh, long-term vision. And in in the short term, uh, in a in a startup, in, in especially in a scale-up, there is a lot of pressure and a lot of tension uh, to have a lot of things done, namely adding verticals, adding geos, adding new products. So there is a lot of things to do, and usually we believe that scaling up it's all about opening new battles or new fields. And it is very counterintuitive that we are just slowing down um, the, the, the speed uh, of the organization. So how do you assure that you keep uh, on defining the OKRs every quarter, uh, that, you that you keep um, one big thing only to be executed instead of diluting a little bit the attention across different areas that uh, usually ends in a, in a disaster. Yeah, very good point. I think, again, uh, to not focus enough is probably one of the key problems that, that young companies have. Well, the way we do it is um, we hired, or the starting point of doing this properly was uh, when we hired our COO, Dominic. Uh, he joined us about one and a half years ago. And he really had that formal COO role in order to make sure that we can continue to grow and we put these processes into place, right? You mentioned OKRs. That, that's also the, the, the way we work. Actually, um, the, the, our OKRs are all over our office in all the three, uh, in all the three countries. Uh, sorry, in all the six countries we are, but the three OKRs. And everything we do is within these, one of these three categories. So um, once, I mean, there's obviously always a lot of new ideas and a lot of, uh, you know, potential collaborations, new products, right. new markets, new client segments. And at the same time, also the company has to continue to grow and be able to manage all that. Mm -hmm. So the way we do it is we have a very clear process for it. So let's say there is a new idea coming up in Germany for a new product or a specific client requests something that could be interesting uh, for everybody. So the way it works is the person obviously gives the idea to the country manager in Germany. They will then, first of all, think about, is that a reasonable idea that should get the attention of the head office? If so, they're discussing it with Dominic and his team of business analysts. Um, once it gets the attention also from the head office, then somebody is in charge of making a small business plan uh, very simple, you know, what's the, what's the cost, uh, what's the potential benefit for us. And then it gets into a um, initiatives meeting where all the key people meet. It's usually once every month. Sometimes it can also happen more often. And then 
these initiatives really get stacked on top of each other. So it is always very clear what is the top priority, what is the next one that everybody kind of, or not everybody, but most of the people are working on such that everybody is aligned. And it does happen that you have a prioritization. Let's say there, there can be a maximum of five initiatives that we are currently really implementing. And uh, because uh, you're working, you're cooperating with a, with a potential client, a pilot client, and, and the client just needs time. It just doesn't go as quickly as you want that uh, something gets on top of that and it gets delayed a little bit. Um, but there's a very clear process. And the process may be different in, in different companies. But I think important is that there is a very clear process. And the process needs to be clear to everybody. And in the beginning, before we really installed that system, you know, it, it leads to frustrations because sometimes you're in a market uh, and unfortunately uh, it wasn't the markets in Europe are not as similar as we had hoped in the beginning. You're in a market you want to sell to your clients and there is something that you really need. And uh, if you don't know the process, you're just like, why aren't they implementing it? But when you're part of making a decision, what the priorities are, you can understand and you can tell your client, sorry, you have to be patient for another three weeks until this will be implemented. Got it. That's, that's really a very good uh, point and the data-driven and process-driven approach to kind of uh, bringing new topics for uh, execution. And, and this comes to, to, to the habit number three, which is all about assuring that if we know, if we have the right team, if we have the direction super, super clear and where we want to be super clear, it's all about execution. And execution, it's, it's a lot about making decisions and also tracking those decisions, tracking data and assuring that we are all on the same page. And this, all, this is all about the dailies, the weeklies, the monthlies, the, the quarterlies. So what kind of rhythms do you have uh, in your company at this stage with a 50 people company and in, in six markets at the loan books? Oh, it depends very much. Um, let's start uh, from, the, from the top. So if there is something really urgent that is like a message from the CEO or something where you really need to have an all hands, uh, we schedule it. Usually we try to do it 24 hours in advance. Um, the team, I am right now in Zurich. The team, obviously, in Switzerland, uh, all physically gets together in one room. And all the other locations around Europe, they, uh, we, they join us on Skype, like we have the, the webinar today. Right. Um, there's, it's very short. I think that's very important. You have a very brief uh, information, no more than five or 10 minutes. And then sometimes there is room for a few questions. Um, but then we, every, every team has different uh, schedules for meetings. So for example, our country heads and the head of sales, they have a weekly call where they just exchange what's new, who needs help, what's going well, what is not going well. And sometimes that call is a 10, 15 minute call. And sometimes that call can go up to half an hour or 45 minutes. Um, then uh, obviously the countries themselves, they have, the, and that's not always the same. Uh, the people in France and the team in Germany, they have different schedules where they physically get together. You know, Germany and France, both are very large countries. So it's hard to really get all the staff into one office just for a meeting and it may not be efficient. But I think it's still important that at least once a month, there is a local all hands, people get together, they see each other, they spend some time together. Maybe they go for lunch afterwards and they exchange ideas. And then, you know, in, in, in daily work, uh, smaller teams obviously get together um, on an ad hoc base and, uh, and exchange ideas uh, whenever it is necessary. One thing that um, 
for us is very important is that we obviously don't waste time. I think speed is critical for us. We want to grow very fast. We are the largest uh, debt platform in, in public sector by far. Uh, we want to obviously continue that and, and, and become the global big ticket debt platform for every potential client segment. So speed is very important, right? Network effects are very important. So people have to be brief. Uh, we can't have long meetings. And it's funny because when we hire people from large corporations, it always takes them a little bit of time to get accustomed, <laughs> you know, to, to, the, to, to be very concise. And I don't know if you can see it, but we, in the back here, we have our five values listed up. But the one here on my left is no bullshit. So uh, in well, the beginning, it's hard for people to... <laughs> <laughs> to not bullshit, but uh, we train them hard, uh, so we are very effective. That's that's a very good point, uh, Stefan. And so let, let's come to uh, assuring that usually I have these four pillars to discuss the scale-up playbook or to discuss scale-ups, which are, do we have the right people on the right seats? And it's all about habit number one. Uh, are we picking the right battles or are we moving into the right direction? It's all about strategy habit number two. Uh, are we going fast enough? So are we being succinct? Are we being clear about what we are to, to, to what we want to achieve? And are we executing at a fast pace, which is all about execution? And definitely cash is an important equation. And I would say it's also related with habit number two, which is the direction. So we, uh, in those kind of, of businesses, we need to get to the next milestone, to the next funding round with the goals that we wanted to accomplish when we raised that round um very present and we we want to get there in a very good shape and not desperate to yes. to raise the next uh the next round because then it would be much more much more easy to choose the right partners the right investors that will help us to scale the business um even faster so cash is a very important uh, component we in terms of milestones from funding rounds to funding rounds as i shared in the beginning there is a large expectations nowadays in the investment community in the tech community about doubling and tripling um, the, the revenues every year. What is your position and your opinion uh, on this? Is this really mandatory or it depends on the company, it depends on, on, the, on the timing? So what is your opinion uh, and what kind of pressure do you make to your, to your team and to yourself in terms of, of, of the speed of scaling uh, the business? Yeah, I think it's very depends very much on the industry and what the company tries to achieve. Um, so I, I, in general, I think it's obviously uh, something that's fantastic if in the early stages you're able to triple uh, or double your revenues and we've been able to do that. But um, there may be companies where that say, look, this is, this is an investment, uh, this is a long-term run. Uh, it's a winner takes it all, for example, and then it may make sense to just grow, you know, at, at whatever cost and, and think about revenues later. I think um, the market is, my opinion is the market is probably changing a little bit. I think um, the times where it was all about just growing and burning billions, um, I think that may come to an end. I think that investors um, will want to see revenues if not maybe not bottom line very early on but they want to see that your revenues can be generated and to make sure that it's really a viable business idea and it's not just a bubble that gets bigger and bigger and ultimately will burst so but it, i think it depends very much and it depends also very much on the face of the uh, obviously the company is in right the larger you get uh, 
the more products you have in the, the more countries you serve, the more client segments you serve, um, it, it may be difficult to do everything at a time. And that goes back to the point where I was before and said, it's very important for young companies with limited resources to really focus. And I, I have to be honest, that's also something that we're struggling with, which has now gotten easier because we have a clear process. But um, for me personally, for example, it's quite hard to say no, uh, or it used to be quite hard to say no, because <laughs> I love opportunities and I see them all sure. over the place. Um, but you really have to start to say no. So it, uh, in, in short, I think it depends very much on the industry. And then obviously it also very much depends on the style that you want to grow your company. We have always been very clear with our staff and with our investors that we're not here to blow a big blow up a big bubble within a few years and, and then uh, just get rid of it. We really want to change that industry. We really think that debt capital markets in general are broken and our goal is to make them accessible, transparent and efficient. And that's not going to be done within one or two years. That's going to take longer. And I think another very important part here, especially for us is, this is not going to be possible by us just selling more and having more clients, but it's also very important to take the entire industry along with us, right? So what we want to do um, is we want to work in corporations. We want to work with the incumbents. We want to take them along, work together, because in the end, the, the, there's not necessarily have to be losers in the market. Everybody can win, but obviously people have to be willing to make a step forward, take risks, maybe even cannibalize their existing business, but then you can really change an industry. Yeah. Uh, I know in preparation of, of this interview, uh, how important is customer involvement uh, in the process of founding and uh, scaling up the business? So uh, how do you assure that, and you just shared this uh, now in the conversation, how important and how, how do you make it possible to really cooperate with your customers to scale the business? As we are a digital business, right? So digital platform kind of, you kind of think, okay, there is no human interaction anymore, but it's absolutely not true. And I think what you said is very, very important. Uh, and let me, let me give you an example how it was in the very early times and how it is today. I mentioned to you before that I spoke to about 60 potential clients in the, in the beginning. And it was really like that, that I, I had an idea about this. I went to, I met with them whenever you can. I think as a, as a founder, you should meet early on. You can still do that later, maybe not, but early on, you should meet your clients. You should look them in the eye and you should have a discussion with them and bounce around ideas. And oftentimes clients are kind of trapped in their world. The way they do business today is kind of what they, what limits. So, and then it's your job as a founder to make them imagine the impossible because the impossible is actually not always impossible. So in the beginning, I think it's the founding team that just needs to spend time with the clients. And then I think it's very important to build a, uh, an MVP, a minimal viable product, a very early version of your product. And I like, the, I like that Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn says, if you launch a product and you're not ashamed of it, you're probably launching uh, too late. So I, I'm a believer of that. You have to launch something very early. Don't invest too much time. Show it to the clients. And yes, it will have bugs and it will have problems and it will have to be improved. But I found that a lot of these clients are very interested in contributing, spending time, giving ideas, being one of the early adapters, give you critical and crucial feedback. So there needs to be a short there need to be short iterations and you need to get feedback, you adjust the product, you show it again, and you do that all the time. 
Now, at today's stage, that's a little bit harder to do because obviously if you want to add a feature to the platform, it's not just a one-day uh, effort in the dev team. It's more like you need to really plan it. It needs to really fit the entire structure. It needs to not only work for one country, but for all of the countries. So this has gotten slower. But even though we are a digital company, and I think that's true for, for, for everybody, at least everybody who's in B2B, B2C may be a little bit different, but you need to be able to be in front of the client, show it personally to the client, and then get feedback from them and try to implement that feedback. And today, uh, more than half of our staff is actually in the business development area on the sales side. And it's not only acquiring new clients, but it's obviously also speaking to the clients, getting their feedback, calling them after they've done a transaction or if they lost a transaction and asking them, what was good about it, what wasn't so good about it, and how can we improve? Um, I think that is the only way you can do it. Absolutely. And the, that's a good point that we can spend an entire episode talking about, which is the role of customer success uh, in, in terms of really cooperating with the customer, building the relationship, and as a consequence, having a win-win for both sides instead of just focusing only on upselling uh, without having a thought about the value and what are the needs uh, of the client just because of the pressure of, um, of the revenue. Uh, well done. So um, I also want, wanted just to extract some of the lessons uh, that you had uh, from raising the different rounds so far. Uh, the last round you have raised was the Series B um, round. So typically, what were the lessons or the milestones that you needed to achieve in order to raise those rounds uh, successfully? So just some uh, bullet points about what was important for you to get the Series A, Series B, and what you anticipate in terms of what you need to um, achieve in terms of being in good shape to uh, potentially uh, raise a Series C uh, round. Right. Um, before I raised the Series A, I only uh, had angel investors that I actually talked to that I wanted to bring in because I needed their skills, right? So right. those were the seed rounds. And then Series A was really the first round where we kind of opened up and we spoke to all kinds of potential investors. We did end up in both rounds, also Series B, to work mostly with angel investors, private individuals who were really able to convince me that they are going to add value, not only on the financial side, but also in terms of, it could be mentoring uh, somebody in the C team. It could be uh, making connections for us in a new market. It could be that they have knowledge in debt capital markets, for example, that we can use. So it was always very important for us to not only raise the money, but have people, get people into the organization that then we really work with us. So um, uh, that's, that's just how, how, that was kind of the goal, right? And obviously the goal was to, to raise enough money for our series B, we wanted to raise somewhere between 10 and the maximum of 22 million. Uh, in the end, we were way oversubscribed and uh, we had to cut down tickets. And, and unfortunately okay. also we, we had to, uh, kick out some of the potential investors but um and that was that was very nice obviously to see that the interest is very high um it took me i i led that effort um i withdrew from the operational business uh, about 50 percent of my time i spent about 50 percent of my time over nine months uh, solely focused on that series b because i believe 
it is extremely important to think about who you want to have in your cap table going forward. And I'm personally invested in many other small startups and uh, sometimes I help founders to think about how to do financing rounds. And I see so many doing it wrong. You know, they're doing it too late, for example, as you mentioned before, and then it gets tight. And then the investors obviously have a huge leverage to squeeze you. And then they, in the end, sign contracts that they would never sign. So I think it's very important to start the process very early and, uh, and really manage the process, be in command of the process, lead the process. And it can be the CEO, it could also be a, a very experienced CFO doing it. So your second question was, um, what do we need to do in order to finally raise a Series C? Um, we're, right now, we're, we're pretty well funded. Uh, we don't have to think about the funding round for at least two and a half, three years at the moment. Um, we do get approached by investors from time to time that are interested and we, we would potentially consider talking to somebody if there's a strategic fit uh, and it would make sense. But um, what we need to do in order to potentially raise a Series C is obviously we need to continue our growth plan uh, and we don't only need to add volume and clients, but we also need to prove that we can generate revenues with our business model. Um, we need to have a stable team, uh, which we absolutely have. Hardly anybody has ever left uh, the company, which is fantastic. And, um, and I, I, you know, we need to have a, like a, we're working on this right now to really figure out what KPIs are the really crucial ones for the next phase, because they also change, right? In the early phase, you have different ones and from now on, so we're working on a cockpit where everybody in the organization, as well as the investors, have a real-time view on how the business is doing, and uh, and then we can ask also for their help if we need that. Very good points, and we are coming to the, the end of the show, and usually we love this question, and we ask this question to close the show to every single guest that we have on, on the show which is if you would have the opportunity to sit down with um, Stefan yourself uh, in the beginning of uh, loan books, what advice would you offer your younger self? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, I will probably tell myself not to worry too much, uh, I, but this is, this, is, uh, this is what always happens to entrepreneurs. I know everybody has sleepless nights and so do I. And uh, you're from an outside perspective, people are always like, wow, you guys are like growing like crazy. Everything is going great. But sometimes there are nights where are like, oh my gosh, how am I going to raise that, that money? <laughs> oh my gosh, how am I going to enter that market? So in the end, don't worry too much, focus on the positive. Um, and, and I think that would be the one advice I would give myself. That's perfect. Thanks so much for joining the show, Stefan. It was really a pleasure to, to have you. Thank you very much, Mike. So to our community, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, we will keep doing our best to bring the best tech leaders week after week to share with you how can we improve your odds to scale your business from 2 million to 100 million. See you soon and thanks again for joining.